When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. From NJ.com, this is Talk is Cheap, a New York Giants podcast. We're talking big blue football all year round. Welcome aboard, Giants fans, to episode 107 of the Talk is Cheap podcast. I'm James Cratch here with Dan Duggan. Joe Giglio is off today. And look, by the Dan, by the last time we talked on this podcast, a lot has happened with the Giants. Uh, we're not going to go back and do everything, but just to rehash, DRC gets suspended. It looks like Ben McAdoo has lost control of the locker room. It looks like they're going to get killed in Denver, but no. They go into Denver, Sunday Night Football, pull maybe one of the biggest upsets in the NFL all season, finally get on the board with a victory, beat the Broncos 23-10 behind defense and the running game. And then we go, obviously, where you and I were, and the reason why this podcast is a little late this week, the owners meeting in New York, in Battery Park the past few days. John Mara spoke. Steve Tisch spoke. They said a lot. I think they kind of set where this team's going to go forward into the second half of the year. So, Dan, I mean, I guess we'll just start right there. I was there Tuesday. You were there Wednesday. I spoke to Steve Tisch. You spoke to John Mara. So, just I think we'll start with Mara because I think he said a lot of interesting things that Giants fans kind of wanted to hear and were interested to hear. And, you know, just kind of give us your idea of what you thought he said. Yeah, well, just going back to how you started things off, it has been quite an eventful week. If we had reported this podcast on, say, Friday before the game, it would have been uh, quite different, and obviously a lot can change in the NFL in a couple of days. But, um, yeah, as far as the owners' meetings, um, you know, John Mara held court for a while with the kind of national uh, scribes talking about uh, all the national anthem stuff, which, of course, is kind of the the dominant topic in the NFL, but for our little Giants world, really not that much of an issue. I mean, Olivier Vernon, you know, continues to kneel, but, uh, you know, we're more interested in kind of the day-to-day and what's going on with this team. And, and Mary hit on a lot of those topics. Uh, I think the biggest one is um, just the overall state of the team. And he didn't hide his feelings. You know, I'll give him credit. He said he's very disappointed. Uh, he, he was even given the opportunity to make more of that Denver win, which, listen, that was a big win. It did say a lot because I think we all thought uh, things were teetering on Ben McAdoo losing the locker room. Uh, so to come out, you know, totally undermanned, go into a really tough environment when that game meant a lot. But when John Maris asked what it meant, he said it means we're one and five instead of zero oh and six. I think that's a quote that fans should actually like because he's not just trying to be rainbows and sunshine. That oh wow, we're you know we're turning things around. He seems to have uh, you know a, a big picture grasp of you know this season has not gone the way uh, you know everyone expected it to and everyone wanted it to. Uh, so he's not going to just you know put a rosy picture on it. Um, you know he didn't. He did what you expected as far as giving a public uh, support of Ben McAdoo and Jerry Reese. He did acknowledge that he hears fans' complaints. He also said, you know, it's not the first time uh, fans have been upset with a coach or, or GM, obviously, in his long tenure with the Giants. Uh, and I think the biggest takeaway I had from it is the thing we've always suspected. They're not an organization that makes rash decisions, and they're not going to fire anybody during the season. Things would have to be completely unraveling for them to even do that. And I still don't know if they would. I think they would still just kind of wait and, and make a move at the, at, at the end of the season. But the way Mara spoke, you know, even his vote of confidence was, listen, it's hard enough to win in this league. 
uh, you know, as an owner and a general, as a coach and a general manager, if you don't have support of ownership, it's that much tougher. So I mean, he's certainly not going to throw them under the bus during the season. Uh, I think he's going to give them every chance to, uh, you know, right this ship as much as they can. Um, but that was my takeaway is just that there's no changes coming. I know fans are clamoring for it. I don't know what it would accomplish anyway. Say they lose this week and they're one and six. What's a, a new coach is going to come in and, and get them to the playoffs. So I think that's pretty much the bottom line for Mara is, uh, as we all suspected, uh, nothing's changed. But at least he did acknowledge that hey, he's not happy. He didn't try to uh, make more out of that win on Sunday night you know, than, than really should be made of, of one win after five disappointing losses. Yeah, I, I think – well, first thing I'll say is, you know, you're right. I think there's, there was really never any chance – you figured the only way they would make a change in season was if something completely wild happened. But for a couple of days there last week, it seemed like we were kind of moving to that. I mean, I, I think we're not going to go back and rehash the whole DRC suspension thing. Obviously, he's back. He's taken full responsibility. Uh, he gave a highly entertaining, <laughs> you know, contrite, candid uh, interview session with reporters uh, on Wednesday at the facility. But Ben Matthew did not handle that whole situation well at all. And I think the only reason why it's kind of going to – the Giants would hope move on from here is because DRC showed up and handled it as perfectly – the complete you know, opposite of the way McAdoo handled it. But I, one thing I, I saw from Maris' comments is he didn't seem to be saying, oh, but all the injuries, which I think Giants fans also want to hear. Because, yes, they have had a ton of injuries, and the wide receiving core has been decimated. But those injuries happen when the team was 0-4 and on the way to being 0-5. So I think that's a good thing that Giants fans probably want to hear from Mara, that he's not going to stand and make the Odell injury or the Brandon Marshall injury or the fact that OV's missed a couple games. He's not going to blame that and have that as an excuse for one in five. And right. I think and I he's think, right. Yeah. No, I think we've all made that point, too. That would be such a mistake. Because I think Steve Tisch kind of did mention it. But, yeah, again, the team was 0-5. No team has ever gone 0-5 made the playoffs. So to sit there and say, oh, we didn't make – if they were to do this in January, we didn't make the playoffs because of the injuries. No, you didn't make the playoffs because you got off to a terrible start and there was a, a million either mistakes made by Jerry's in the offseason as far as not fortifying the offensive line, not having you know more depth in some spots, and certainly a ton of mistakes made by Ben McAdoo because you know I outlined all of the kind of what-if questions that Denver game raised, and there was a lot of them. And, and listen, it's easy to say that you know when they win a game that, hey, they should have been doing this all along, and uh, it's not that simple. But, man, you see when Orleans Dark wa- uh, was given the featured back role, how did it take so long when Paul Perkins was so bad in the first four games? Uh, it took an injury to Perkins to really give Dark with the opportunity, and, and he's obviously run with it. Uh, you see the offensive line. How on earth, and more we go back, as much scrutiny as Eric Flowers has gotten, how on earth did they just give Bobby Hart a starting job coming into the season? He was bad enough last year that they benched him for the most critical games, and then they just decided, ah, eh, you know, we'll have this seventh-round pick from a couple years ago, worked out in the offseason. We'll just roll him out there, and we'll, we'll draft a guy in the sixth round who didn't even make the roster to, to be his, his only competition. I mean, that was insane. And you see the clear upgrade uh, that Justin Pugh uh, has represented at right tackle. I mean, think about what he did against Von Miller, and it's funny. Pugh talked about a spin move uh, that Von Miller did, and he said it was like he he teleported from one spot to the other. But if you go back and watch the play he's talking about, he still stayed with him. There's no chance. Bobby Hart would have been spinning in the other direction as Von Miller spin towards the quarterback. So, uh, the, you know, Pugh deserves a ton of credit for stepping up. But, again, how did it take them so long to realize he was a much better option at right tackle? Um uh, DJ Fluker, where was he, you know, for the first three or four yeah, games? The and he Fluker was... thing to me, and you, you and I both know this, he wasn't terribly impressive during training camp, but it just seemed like McAdoo had no had no plan for him. He just was kind of there. 
know what I mean? Right. He, yeah. And, and you, you brought this guy in on a, a prove it deal and they, they didn't really give him a chance to prove it. And again, it's one thing if you brought him into a stout offensive line that was doing well without him, but it was worth a shot. And obviously he got in there and then they still kind of yanked him around. I'm trying to remember, I think it was the Chargers game. He started on the bench again, right? And then he came in for John Jerry. So it was like they were doing everything they could almost to not put him on the field. And it was like, listen, this guy is, uh, you know, a physical beast. Uh, I know he hasn't been, you know, a Pro Bowl player his first four years, and, and he certainly still has his weaknesses. I'm not trying to make him out to be a Pro Bowl player now, but you do see a difference. Just the the physicality. Uh, it's I don't think it's a big coincidence that the run game uh, has started to get on track since he's been in the lineup. Um, but so it, that you know, it circles back kind of the initial point that. There was problems with this team that had nothing to do with Odell's injury or Brandon Marshall's injury. And like I said, I think it is a good thing uh, that Mary isn't going to you know, lean on that crutch because this team is what it is, and those injuries have only made it worse. But it isn't the reason that they're in this position. No, I agree. Now, I, I think I'll start – one of the big things I think that Steve Tisch kind of implied and then <laughs> John Mara seemed to want to clean up was the play calling. That's another thing we, we didn't mention at the top. Ben McAdoo finally stopped calling the plays Sunday in Denver, hands it over to Mike Sullivan, uh, kind of a strange explanation why, saying that the the whole team needed him. <laughs> I mean, I, I would think they kind of need him when they were 0-5. But whatever it is, however it happened, Sullivan gets the play calling. And I think, look, I think most intelligent people who are perceptive or would think and say, you know what, there's a chance that after Ben McAdoo basically was steadfast, his insistence that he was going to call the plays for his first full season with the Giants, then the first five games of this year, called it as the offensive coordinator two years prior, didn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that there was a chance that maybe someone above Ben McAdoo said, hey, Ben, you're really going to have to do this now. It's just not working. And Steve Tisch kind of basically said, we've talked about this in the past, and he didn't come out and say that you know, we did it this week, but he, he implied that Ben McAdoo was maybe nudged to give up the play calling. Now, right. you talked to John Mayer, who he said absolutely not. Right, right. And you know, I think that, you know, I think John Mara is definitely a little bit more plugged in in the day-to-day operation. Obviously, if for no other reason, then he's here. He's in the facility every day. And Steve Tisch is kind of doing his thing in Hollywood, comes to the games and whatnot. But uh, I, I'm inclined to lean towards John Mara's interpretation of events. Um, it, like I say, it, it would make sense for them to maybe nudge him, but it is still hard for me to picture them, you know, going into the coach's office and saying, listen, you have to do this. That's just, you really kind of you know, taking the power out of his hands. Um, I, I credit McAdoo for doing it, but I, I totally go back to your initial point. What took so long? I mean, the team didn't need you uh, when things were going off the rails in week two, three, four, uh, for, the, for it to actually like you know, hit DEFCON, whatever, before he finally made the change. Uh, I think that's a little bit disconcerting. I think there's there's no way he goes back to calling him, I would hope. I mean, he hasn't confirmed that, which he's never wanted to do. Uh, but it would be crazy to do so after they, you know, because people are going to pick and say, oh, well, they didn't have a ton points or ton yards. I mean, you have to, Keep in mind the situation there. They didn't have any offensive weapons in the passing game, and they were going into you know the number one run defense, one of the toughest places to play. So uh, that was a very well called game by Mike Sullivan to uh, you know, kind of limit or hide their weaknesses and, and try to play to their strengths. Um, but results aside, because at the end of the day, we won't know what Mike Sullivan could have done calling the plays with a full arsenal. So I just think that hey, it worked for that week. Ben McAdoo used to focus on giving all of himself to the locker room. Um, but yeah, I, like Mara's, Mara's overall point was, listen, it's it's not the ownership's place uh, to meddle there. I don't think I don't. 
And I don't think he's a big time meddler, at least on the day to day stuff. I mean, obviously he has a hand in personnel and, and that type of thing, but I don't, I don't think he's, you know, calling down from his booth. Uh, hey, we need to see more run plays in the second half. You know what I mean? I don't think he's that type of owner. Um, but so I think it was important for him to clarify that. I mean, he made a point to clarify it because even after he spoke about all the anthem stuff, he kind of made a joke. And oh, by the way, we didn't tell our coach to give up play call. I think he wanted to get that message out. I, I don't think it's the first time Steve Tisch has said something a little off the cuff that John Mara has to then go and clean up. So uh, I, I think he kind of set the record straight. And listen, even if they did, they don't want the world to know that because that would be totally yeah. undercutting your your young exactly. coach who obviously is under a ton of criticism and scrutiny already. So listen, even if they did do it, John Mara did the right thing in trying to say we didn't because, again, it, just, it would be such a bad look for McAdoo that there's no way that that type of thing would really get out unless someone really wanted to undercut McAdoo. Definitely. And, and look, I think and McAdoo, uh, he got a little feisty on Wednesday <laughs> when he was asked about Steve Tisch's comments. And he he gets feisty even a lot asked. lately. Yeah, I mean, look, I, look, I think Ben is clearly working through something here. And uh, it looks really bad last week. It looks less bad this week. But I think what you said at the top is right. This team won a football game, and everyone feels great, and it's an accomplishment, and it was a really quality win against a, what we thought was a good Broncos team. In hindsight, I, I don't think this team that team's really going at much, you know, especially with Simeon, a quarterback, but they're still 1-5. I mean, if they lose on Sunday to the Seahawks, they're right back to where they started. They're still going nowhere, in my opinion, but I think it's, just, it's a little bit more palatable to, to kind of go to work when you got a victory at hand. But this team did not fix the season and turn everything around in Denver. And I think John Mayer was right to basically say, hey, we're still one in five. I mean, you know, we've only you can you know celebrate all you want, but the, the facts are still the facts. Right. I mean, I think the biggest takeaway from that Sunday night game is the fact that, uh, you know, it, it definitely does not appear that the McAdoo's lost the locker room because I think all of us expected the Giants to lose. And it really could have been a situation where the wheels fell off. Like if they went out there and just got demolished and embarrassed on national TV and say it's like 38 to nothing in the second half of the game. You know, Al Michaels and Chris Collinsworth are just dissecting all the ways the Giants have gone wrong. That's a terrible look uh, for the organization. And, you know, an owner like John Mayer, who is, you know, concerned with public reception, that would be a tough pill to swallow. And then I think you, again, I still don't think they'd probably make a move during the season, but I think that would be a tough thing for McAdoo to shake. And and if the season really went off the rails. um, So I think getting that win at least just solidified the the sense that, all right, he hasn't lost the locker room. Uh, I think the DRC thing definitely had the potential to do that. But DRC is, kind of like one of the few guys that could have everything that happened and he comes back to work this week and it's like nothing happened because he's just an eccentric guy uh he's he's very well liked i think if he was more of a disliked guy or a polarizing guy in the locker room he'd probably come back and maybe try to create some dissension he'd probably you know be bad mouth mcadoo but like you said earlier he handled everything perfectly he kind of said listen you know i'm a little bit crazy i lost it it's on me um you know he totally fell on the sword didn't point the finger at mcadoo he just dismissed it as well as you know humanly possible um, but that definitely was a big thing uh, for Mackey to work through. And I don't think he's out of the woods yet, though, because no. Eli Apple is, is still kind of he's, – he's always in the center of a lot of these things. I know he missed uh, practice on Wednesday for personal reasons. You never want to speculate on that. I don't think it's anything to do with, like, discipline. But, you know, we come to find out that he was disciplined uh, when he was benched at the start of that Chargers game. And I think a lot of the DRC unrest is sort of related to, the you know, how the way Eli Apple's been treated compared to the way DRC's been treated – um, as, and, and again, if they start losing some games again, we're going to end up right back in the same spot. I mean, listen, this Seattle game is a huge game, not in the sense, again, that I don't think they're going to make a playoff run. But you do look at the schedule and say, hey, you know, if they get to 
uh, that second win, and they have the bye, and then they have the Rams and the 49ers. You know, they could put a little something together to at least give you some hope in the second half of the season. Whereas if they lose this game, you're, you know, you're right back to one and six, one in the bye. And I think a lot of the bad feelings come back uh, in a hurry. Definitely. I mean, look, I think, and we've said this before, there's still 10 games left. There's still 11 weeks left in the season. I think that's kind of the gift for the Giants, but the curse. I mean, if they had got, if this DRC thing had happened in week 15, then you'd say, okay, they pretty much dodged the bullet. He, ha- he, he, he took the blame. He handled it pretty well. There's only two weeks left. They're going to get through this. I mean, there's plenty of times for things to go very wrong uh, on Ben McAdoo, and I think you're right. There, there still are going to be some brush fires he has to put out. I just think that, you know, look, we've said it on the podcast with Joe and all week, he has not had a great second season as the Giants head coach. Uh, he's still got a lot of it left. But there have been a lot of things I, I, I feel that you kind of can second guess about him so far this year. And I think that the DRC thing, it seems like it, it's ended relatively well. What it looks like it could be a really, really damaging situation for McAdoo. Uh, but you're right. He's still going to have some challenges going forward. And I think that, you know, the personnel is going to hurt him. I, I don't think they're going to be able to play the way they did against the Broncos on offense every week. So I think that's going to kind of, you know, what's going to happen when, you know, the offense scores nine points and, and, and loses and really isn't effective and Eli turns the ball over twice. I mean, it, are you still going to let Mike Sullivan call the plays? Is there going to be an inclination to yank it back? So uh, there's a lot to be there. One last thing before we move on to Sunday's game against the Seahawks. John Mara spoke about Odell Beckham mm. at the owners meeting on Wednesday. And I, I thought what he said was really, really interesting. Yeah, no, I mean, he was asked, uh, I think the first question was more about uh, just kind of where things stand with Odell uh, on the maturity thing, because that's a, that's a topic that kind of never goes away, and, and, you know, he said that you know, he wasn't obviously happy with what happened in Philadelphia with the, the dog touchdown celebration, um, he, you know, he said that they had their meeting, and he felt Odell got the message, but of course the problem is we won't know that, because, you know, he got hurt two weeks later, and, you know, never really had a chance to demonstrate that over the long haul. Uh, again, I, I kind of still think that stuff's a little bit overblown, but I think the bigger issue now is the injury. Um, you know, the, the question I asked is, does the injury affect, you know, contract negotiations? Which I think we all expected were to begin, you know, after this season, and it was going to be for a long-term, you know, eight, maybe nine-figure deal. Uh, that, that's obviously a huge investment, and there's a lot of factors that go into it. Now you add a serious injury into that equation, and Maris said it doesn't affect things. He said that, you know, they're convinced that uh, Odell's going to have a complete recovery. I think it is an injury where, you know, I think everyone would expect that. I mean, who knows exactly the timeline, uh, but it's not the type of injury that, you know, should, you know, plague him throughout his career. I mean, I think you get the surgery, you do the rehab, and, and he should be good to go for next year. And, you know, I would assume he doesn't even lose a step. Now, obviously, that remains to be seen. But Mara is saying he doesn't need to see it. Now, I don't know. I mean, obviously, you take that at face value, but they still are in control. Uh, and I think you wrote something good about this a couple weeks ago where the injury just changes the dynamic on both sides now. Because now, again, the Giants... I would say they have more leverage now because then they can say, well, listen, we're going to actually make you play out your fifth year, show us that you're 100%, and then they still are in the driver's seat because after next season, you know, after paying them the $8 million, $8.5 million next season, then they can sit down and say, listen, all right, let's talk long-term contract. If they can come to, you know, an agreement, they come to the agreement on that. And if not, they just franchise tag them. And I don't know what that's going to be, right, $15 million or so by the time we get to that point. Um, so they're still not paying too much money to a guy who, you know, clearly has been one of the best receivers in the game. Uh, but now from the Odell side, he can say, listen, I did everything you want. All right, I skipped OTAs, but I showed up to everything mandatory. I did not hold out. I, 
you know, I got injured by while playing in the preseason. Uh, you know, I could have waited longer, but I fought to get back on the field in week two. And then I suffered a major injury playing on this measly rookie contract, which, listen, hey, that's the way the CBA works. Not that, you know, anyone can do anything about that. But, uh, again, he could have put up more of a stink about his contract. He didn't. Went out, played, suffered the injury for the team. And he might say, listen, I've done all, all of that in good faith and been a super productive player, super marketable player. You can't ignore that side of things. It's time for me to get paid. I, I do think, uh, you know, that they still could definitely make, uh, you know, come to an agreement on an extension this offseason. But now the question is, does Odell have to accept a little bit less money? Maybe the Giants say, sure, we will give you a good faith, you know, long term deal. But listen, you know, you don't have four years of stats. And you only got, you know, three and you know a quarter. Uh, and we don't know if you're going to be 100 so forget about being the highest paid player in the league. We're going to give you a contract more in line with, you know, Antonio Brown and, and DeAndre Hopkins. And, and does Odell maybe a little bit more uh, apt to accept that? Because, listen, he know he sees the reality that, man, like, you know, you, you're one play away from your career being over. So may, that, that might end up being – this injury might end up being a blessing in disguise in a way for the Giants that maybe it saves them a few bucks on the adult, Odell extension. I still think it's going to be fascinating. I don't know how this thing is going to turn out and the injury adds, you know, a huge variable to it. Well, I think go back to what Odell said when he when he had that it seems like a thousand years ago, but when he had that <laughs> press conference after he finally showed up to voluntary uh, not mandatory minicamp, and he basically said like you know I've never seen a holdout work. Well, that's kind of true, but here's the thing: if the Giants and we'll get to the whole mayor thing in a second, I don't see how he can come out and play again next year without a contract. Now that he's suffered the uh, serious injury and you know, everything from his p- perspective, he might just say, you know what? I have to hold out because I can't play until I get a deal. And on one hand, the Giants logic would say he's got to play on you know, his eight and a half million in 2018, show that he's still the same player, then we'll pay him. But on the other side, you know, John Mara, basically, we said it then he gave away a ton of leverage. He basically said, we love Odell. He has nothing to prove to us. Uh, we wish to be a little bit more mature, but yeah, who cares? We're gonna give him a ton of money at some point. Uh, we just don't know when. And I thought that for me, it was just kind of like double talk. It was almost like we're gonna we want to pay this guy, but we're not gonna pay him now. And I remember asking him when he spoke on the patio during training camp. I mean, all right, fine, just do it. Like get it done before the season. And like you got Eli's deal done a couple years ago. And I just thought it was really weird that the Giants thought that basically just saying a bunch of nice things about Odell was going to somehow make up for the massive disparity between what he was making and what the market says he should make given his performance. Now I wonder, you know, it was that kind of John Mayer saying, you know, I said everything about Odell. He took on the risk of the injury. He did everything I wanted him to do. So I'm going to reward him. I still think that a good middle ground could be something where, the Giants give him a one-year extension, you know, for $25 million or something in new money, you know, signing bonus. Maybe you have a – maybe it's a two-year extension, but the, the second year voids automatically after the Super Bowl, you know, just to kind of work the cap figure. Something to basically put money in Beckham's pocket and then say, here's some money. We'll revisit this after 2018 when you prove you're healthy. I still I don't think that's going to happen, but I think that could be a, a good compromise. So Beckham gets some cash flow, his numbers get pumped up, and the Giants get to see him be 100% and be the same player before they make a really long-term investment. Hmm. Yeah, I'm mean, gonna thought about that. I, don't, I guess I don't see that just because I don't think Odell's. You know, he's he's not living paycheck to paycheck. I think he either wants the the big the one big paycheck 
or you know he's willing to maybe I don't know I, I haven't thought about that too much. I don't but know. I, I mean, I have to say I, I think that could be something they could pursue. You know, I mean, if you go back with Antonio Brown before he got his deal, the Steelers basically gave him a raise mm-hmm. and just said like, look, here's some money now. We're, we promise we're gonna good faith we're gonna take care of you. I don't know if that's something the Giants would pursue. Yeah, I don't I mean, know if, if that's something Beckham would be interested in. But yeah, there's a ton of variables uh, in this equation. I mean, and one thing I'll say too is, as far as holding out, uh, I don't think you know he's he would hold out you know into the season and miss games. But I mean, look at some of the you know the big name guys who did hold out this year. I mean, I'm looking right now. Aaron Donald it didn't seem to really hurt him. He's uh, he's rated as the number one interior defender uh, on Pro Football Focus. So uh, he's an Odell's draft class and it took the exact opposite approach. Uh, it didn't, you know, it didn't work, but he still, hey, he didn't get hurt in the preseason, I guess you can look at, or, or Le'Veon Bell, um, you know, he, he kind of got off to a slow start, but he just had a huge game on Sunday, so Odell might look at that and say, listen, uh, maybe I'm not going to hold out and miss games, but I'm going to hold out and not risk, you know, injuring anything in the preseason if you're going to still just pay me, uh, you know, the kind of the minimum that you have to pay, um, but yeah, I mean, hey, listen, that's going to be fascinating, I mean, and listen, uh, you know, Mara can say that now, that it's not going to affect things. But again, it, it's when it comes down to, you know, put pen to paper and, and write a check for, you know, $80 million or $100 million, whatever it may be, uh, it might be a little bit different. <laughs> you know, you might want to see this guy, uh, you know, because this franchise, let's be honest, has been burned uh, by wide receivers getting hurt young and never regaining their form. You're only, you know, Victor Cruz is the most recent example, uh, but it's happened plenty of times through the years. So uh, I would understand, I mean, you know, every case is different. I would understand if they're a little bit skittish, uh, you know, about giving huge money, uh, to a guy who has, you know, injury questions on top of some of the other stuff, you know, with the maturity and whatnot. Uh, I can understand that being a little hesitant uh, to just kind of fork over $100 million with, you know, without seeing him get back on the field. All right, so last thing before we go, uh, let's bring it home. Giants, uh, big win in Denver. Now, as we discussed earlier, they got to follow it up. Sunday, 425 kickoff. Uh, the 1-5 record, I think, bumped Tony Romo out of this uh, broadcast slot. So Giants fans are still waiting for the first Romo called Giants game. Uh, CBS, kind of a weird schedule thing. Seahawks here. Seattle coming off a of bye week. The Giants about to play a bunch of teams coming off their bye week. Dan, I look at this game and even with the win in Denver, I just don't see much of a path to victory forward for the Giants. I'm curious what you think. Oh, using a Ben McAdoo term there, path to victory. Uh, well, I think the Romo calling the game, first off, that kind of loses luster now that we don't have McAdoo calling the plays because I was looking forward to, you know, watching the game back and hearing Romo predict every play. Um, you know, he probably got like 90% right if McAdoo was still calling the plays. So we kind of kind of lost out on that appeal anyways. But, uh, yeah, no, I don't, see, I don't see them win this game. Listen, we were all dead wrong about the Broncos game, but that doesn't mean that this team has totally, you know, just – flipped everything on its head teams do that in the nfl i mean look at it happens every single week we probably should have been more on guard for it um you know you look at the dolphins with the comeback against the falcons you know you can literally go through every week and there's a game or two like that but over you know over the long haul the cream rises to the top and you can't win games with two completions for 20 yards to your wide receivers you know over the long haul i don't think this suddenly turned into some smash mouth football team that's going to be able to run it on anybody you know what's coming we're still going to run it i don't think that's the case uh you know the broncos have some serious questions i don't know how um you know they weren't able to how they were how they allowed evan engram and the run game to dominate when you knew that they really weren't going to throw the ball downfield i mean how do you not you know crowd the box and and just you know play tighter coverage or you know dedicate more coverage to Evan Ingram I promise you Seattle will do those things you know now there's tape out there no one's gonna take the Giants lightly I mean I don't think I ever took the Giants lightly because you did know hey there is talent and the defense you know really kind of finally played like it did last season 
Um, so I think that is the one thing that gives the Giants a, a puncher's chance that, hey, if the defense is going to go out and score a touchdown and have three takeaways and, and basically shut down the opponent, well, obviously you're going to be in every game. Uh, but, you know, again, that's only one game for the defense in 2017 playing like that. So, uh, yeah, I don't again, I don't think they've figured something out. I think it was a, a great rallying cry, great win, uh, you know, at Denver when no one believed in them. I think reality kind of sets back in that, hey, listen, it's going to be very difficult to win games in the NFL, uh, you know, with no real passing game. I mean, uh, maybe Sterling Shepard is back. That would definitely be a big help. Uh, but still, they're, they're lacking some weapons there. Um, you know, Seattle's a tough team. I think it'll be an ugly game because Seattle kind of has some issues too. Same, really a lot of the same issues with the Giants, especially with the offensive line. Um, but you know, Russell Wilson, uh, you know, kind of compensates for those a bit more than obviously Eli can with his mobility. Um, but I, I don't think it'll be a blowout. I think, you know, I think the Giants have, you know, at least shown that they have some pride. They're not going to just roll over. Um, but I, I can't pick them to win, uh, you know, just again, based on what they're missing and, and how they performed over the, uh, you know, over the balance of this season. Yeah, I just, I don't see how they're going to uh, that pass rush should concern them. You know, you've got one of the best secondaries in the NFL going up against now one of the weaker receiving cores in the NFL. I mean, getting Shepard's back. I mean, look, I think Evan Ingram had a big game against the Broncos, but he's just going to get double teamed now. You know, so and I don't know if he's going to be able to beat double team consistently or they're going to be able to scheme around that. So I just look at this game. I, I still I think the Giants, the one shot the Giants have, I think, is that the, the Seahawks offensive line is so poor that if they can somehow get to the quarterback and then contain Russell Wilson, not let him scramble and make plays. I think I chance to keep it close. I do think it's going to be a close game, uh, you know, field goal type game. I just think Seattle is a better team. And they need this thing more. You know, they're coming off a bye week. They've kind of had their struggles early on. They're still in the hunt. Giants are not. And I think Seattle gets it done. So with that, that'll be it for us here on this episode of Talk is Cheap. We thank you, as always, for coming. We'll be back next week. Giants going on the bye week next week. So we'll probably have a longer show for you to kind of discuss the game against Seattle. Obviously, with the Giants stand at the bye week going forward. Maybe we'll have a Jerry Reese press conference to discuss. It's not sure if he's going to do it after the uh, bye week when the team comes back for the Rams game or if he's going to do it right after the Seattle game. So we'll keep you in tune there. So, Dan, as always, thank you for joining me. Yeah, good stuff running the show, James. I try, but nowhere near as good as Joe, but we'll <laughs> try to give a, a, a replacement-level effort. So I'm James Cratchy, Dan Duggan. That's it for Talk is Cheap. We will see you next time. <laughs>